As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic, helping you to understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook or multiple free ebooks if you fancy. But now for today's show. I'm joined once again by the wonderful Ana Avila, who is a Mexican writer living in Guatemala with a background in science. She is the author of Make the Most of Your Time, a practical guide to honoring God with your day. We heard a little bit about your story and your sort of context working in Latin America and doing ministry in Latin America in a previous episode. And we're going to be looking a little bit more about your brilliant book in a later episode. But our focus today is on science and religion. Um, So why, I mean, were you always interested in science? Was that something that even as a child you wanted to be? Yes, definitely. I was one of those weird kids who collected rocks and polished them with their toothbrushes. I just, <laughs> I just loved to to understand the world. I loved to read from a very young age, but mo- mostly what I read was like encyclopedias. I remember I had one on Egypt, on ecology, on space. I just loved to understand the world. I also read a few novels and stories. But mostly, I just like to read science. So yeah, science has been a love of mine since I was little. And I don't know where it came from because neither of my parents are into science. They're, they're both like into the humanities. But I don't know. I really found the world fascinated from, fascinating from day one. Yeah. Anna, I feel like I need to know more about brushing <laughs> rocks with toothbrushes. You said that as if it's just totally normal thing. I mean, what? It's in what, <laughs> what on earth? I, I think I was Italian biologist in my head because I didn't have any di- dinosaur bones. So I tried to dig out for them, but I, I only found roots in my grandma's garden and she was pretty upset about it. So I sat with the rocks and I just collected them and tried to like, figure out which kinds of rocks were they and stuff. So I was a geologist, I guess. <laughs> okay. And this led to you actually studying clinical biochemistry. What, what was the journey towards that? Was that kind of always the direction you wanted to go in? Not at all. I was about to study theater. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My mom did, wouldn't let me. 
She was like, are you insane? You're going to starve. I'm sure people get jobs when they study theater, but my mom wasn't going to let me go do that. So I was like, okay, I, I've always been a person with multiple interests, which is awesome when you're a kid and you get to explore a whole lot of things. I was like into science, but I was actually also into the arts, into singing, acting and stuff. Um, so I enjoyed all of it. So when I was trying to look for what to study in college, I was just fresh out of doing theater. So I was like, oh, I want to do more of this. And I was like, my mom was like, no. And she probably, yeah, she was right about that because I'm not doing theater now. So, so yeah, she was right about it. I just remembered like, okay, it's not going to be theater. I remember in middle school that I really like chemistry. So why don't I go into chemistry? So that was like the extent of my reasoning while, while picking a career. My, my degree is chemical, biological, clinical, which literally translate chemist, biologist, clinical. That is the translation. I just say clinical biochemist because that's the more natural way and could translate it. But it was a very broad degree. We had a lot of chemistry, a lot of biology, and a lot of like health-related clinical work. Um, I enjoyed it because of the broadness of the sciences. I was just learning a little bit about everything, but no, it was not very intentional. It was just something that just looked good on paper and I got into and I enjoyed for the most part, but we can talk more about that later. Anna, you were a Christian by the time you were studying science at college. How did that go down, you studying science within a Christian context? Were there people who thought that wasn't a good idea, doing science as a Christian, or, or was it completely acceptable within the circles that you were part of? Yeah, there are for sure certain aspects of science that are seen with suspicion by the church community I was a part of, mostly cosmology and the Big Bang stuff, evolution. But uh, for me, it was not a big deal. Like with the kind of things I was studying, people were they, they didn't even understand them. So they, they didn't ask many questions. Personally, I was just in awe all of the time. I just remember that time in school with my relationship with God and stuff. So it was just something that feed, fed, I'm sorry, on, on that just awe of God, understanding how the world works. I remember I had one class on evolution, so I we I didn't really got much into it. Um, and... I don't remember feeling any, like, yeah, animosity and, and things I believe. But but I didn't, I wasn't thinking a lot of the theological implications. So that came later. But during college, I was just, you know, all of the time. And it was a great time for my relationship with God, just being fed by these learnings about the world he made. We're going to talk a little bit more about the sort of that, <laughs> you know, the relationship between science and God and and, and why you're so passionate about that. Um, but you say now that you're not a scientist, but science obviously plays a big part in both the approach of your writing and also the content of your writing. You write a lot about science. But why did you pursue, why did you decide not to pursue life as a scientist? I guess in the traditional sense of scientist, when you think of a scientist, you perhaps think of a scientist in a lab or something like that. 
Why was that not the route that you wanted to go? Yeah, when when I was little and learning about science and being a scientist, of course, what you learn is like the glamorous side of science, like all oh, the Nobel Prize and all the amazing things you discover. But in the day-to-day, the life of a scientist is not glamorous at all. It's just like going to the lab, designing experiments and running the same experiment a thousand times and trying to get grants and trying to publish results. So that to to be actually able to do that day to day, you need to have a vocation for that science, I think. Like in medicine, like actually being a doctor is very prestigious and glamorous, but the day to day is grueling. You need to have a calling to actually be able to do it with joy. So I didn't feel I had that calling when I was in college. I was like, this is awesome. I love to learn about the science and understand the science. But the day-to-day of doing science, that seems like a lot to me. Um, And I was trying to figure out how I could merge my love of science with the passion for other things I have. Uh, As I said before, I'm a woman of many interests. I love the arts and performing and communication and writing mostly. And I was like, okay, how can I just combine these passions I have? And... It was frustrating when I was in school because I didn't have anyone who could guide me through that process of, okay, trying to figure out what to do with this degree after I graduate. Um, but I, I started researching. I first thought I was not in the right like major or degree. I was looking in other schools, in other areas, trying to find a better fit. But then I realized that this exact science wasn't a problem but the the actual work I would do after graduation. So in my seeking, I discovered this field of science communication. I discovered there were writers, journalists, and people who dedicate their lives to learning about the science and then communicating it to the general public. And I was like, this is perfect path for me. This is like, it fits. So with that realization, I was able to finish my degree with much more joy because like the first semesters when I was learning about what it meant to be a scientist, I was getting discouraged because it's like, this is awesome, but this doesn't feel like something I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, I mean, I would love to like be in a lab and learn a little bit and for, for, for a time, like being a part of an experiment or something, but actually doing it every day was for me. So I was getting more and more discouraged. I started to like fail exams because I was just apathetic to the to the things I was learning. But once it hit me, like okay, you can use this in a different way, it changed everything, and I was able to study with much more joy uh, and yeah, finish my degree. So you then went into this science communication. How did that then move into talking specifically about science and faith? Because that's quite a kind of niche move, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it was very providential. I I had no idea. When I found out about this com- science communication thing, I was like, okay, I had, I know no one who does this. Like in my little town in Mexico, I, I didn't know any writers, that, let alone science writers. Um, so I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to make this happen, but I'm going to worry with one thing at a time. And I finished my degree and then I started looking for a, yeah, a job. Um, and I remember I had um, two interviews on the same day 
one in a lab, microbiology lab, and the other one in a social media company. And they both wanted me. So I was like, okay, I need to make the choice now where I'm going to go. And of course, everyone around me, mostly everyone except my husband, was like, okay, you are a chemist. You should be in a lab. And I was like, yeah, but I want to be a science writer. And I already have the science background. I need to get my writing, my communication training because I know nothing about this. So to me, it makes sense, even though I they don't want to spend my life in a, a social media company, just take a step in the communication direction. So I took the leap and a lot of people thought I was crazy, <laughs> but I, I just wanted to write, to learn how to write. My husband, of course, being the amazing man he is, he supported me. And I started working in that company for, for a couple of years and started learning how to communicate in social media, how to write. And it, it had nothing to do with science, nothing at all. Then I got a job in a blog. When blogs were a thing that paid you, it paid very little, but it, it's, it was still writing practice. Um, and there I started sort of writing about science and technology a little bit. It was mostly cultural stuff, but um, it was a lot of writing practice. I had to write like eight tiny pieces a day. So I was going crazy writing, writing, writing. So that was awesome writing. And then I got a job at a gospel coalition. I started my own blog on the side while I was writing for this other website. I just said, oh, I want to share about my reading with the world. So my husband was like, okay, you should write a blog. And I was, okay, I'll, I'll try. And I, I started a blog called Los Cristianos También Men, which means Christians also read, because I was very frustrated that I didn't have anyone in my community to talk about books except my husband. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make a stick. Christians also read. I thought that was very clever. And that's that, that's the name I gave to my blog. And people from the Gospel Coalition, Spanish Sister, saw my work and they were like, okay, you're a good writer. Why don't you come and volunteer for us? And that volunteering turned into a job. And that turned, like, I started writing for them. But it had nothing to do with science at all. Uh, it was mostly Christian living, theology, books, uh, and Christian stuff. Then we got a grant from the Templeton Foundation. They wanted us to write science and fake content. And they were like, oh, you have a science degree? Can you take care of this? <laughs> this could and work. Like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I have never done this before. I have no idea how to write about science and faith, but I, I can read about it and try to come up with something. And we did for a couple of years, and that was great practice just integrating the science and theology um, for the Gospel Coalition, TGC Spanish, and now I still do that, and I've been loving it. <laughs> You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. And one of the things that you talk a lot about is the fact that actually you can reconcile science with your faith as a Christian. But why do you think there is a perceived conflict between Christianity and science, I guess from the atheist perspective, but also from the Christian perspective? Because it seems to be across the board for a lot of people, there is still this conflict, isn't there, whether you're a Christian or not? Yeah, I think 
It is mostly because the mental image we have about Christianity and about science. We sort of picture Christianity and science as these like entities which are declaring things about the world and that they're at odds with each other. And of course, they cannot be both truth at the same time. So it's like this character called Christianity who is telling us things about the world. And then this character called science they're telling us different things about the world. So you have to pick who to believe. Uh, but I argue that is the wrong way, of course, of picturing science and 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 Christianity. Um, I I rather see the world as as one revelation from God. We have special revelation uh, and and scriptures. We have uh, general revelation in nature, and we're all humans trying to figure out what these revelations and and sometimes we agree on things sometimes we don't but at the end of the day is one god one truth one revelation really and and it all it will all make sense in the end even though it doesn't completely make sense right now in some aspects maybe um so that's like the big picture and thing i try to share with people that we're all I think what R.C. Sproul said this, we're all imperfect interpreters of perfect revelation. So we're trying to figure out, uh, and sometimes it's going to seem like there's conflict. Most of the time that conflict is very shallow, superficial. It's not really there. Like Alvin Fleming, I would say, uh, some, of, some of the time it's, there's really things we have to like try to come to terms with. We don't have enough information, or we might have wrong information um and then we'll fix it and stuff so it's a dialogue too uh but yeah that's mostly the way i try to explain to people that there's not really a conflict there are not two entities trying to tell us things (laughs) and do you think this belief that science and faith are opposed to each other is more prominent where you are in latin america than in other parts of the world from from what you've seen for sure there are different aspects that are more problematic here than in the UK when I visited. I remember that like evolution for you guys, although there might be people who are suspicious about it or disagree on some issues, like mostly um, but here in America, both in the US and in Latin America, because we copy everything from the US that we have. (laughs) Um, Evolution is like a big no-no. And it's like, we don't, we, I don't think in Latin America we're even ready to have that conversation a little bit. And I haven't even written on the topic because I'm still studying it. And because, because I feel people need to understand these basic things about revelation and, and how we get to knowledge and our belief and things like that after, before we, we actually get into this controversial topic. So there are things that are different. You guys are very into climate change. We are like, what is that? <laughs> so, it's, it's, so, so yeah, there's differences. Um, and but but I think like the biggest thing is this. We talked in a previous episode about this authoritarian um, learning and leadership we have. Um, and the thing is that people just want to follow instructions a lot of the time. Just tell me what to believe. Tell me what it, which one is my side. You know, just like follow in line. And a lot of this is just like grappling with things and waiting for evidence and trying to 
hear this argument and then the other. And that takes time and energy. It's like, I don't have time for this. So, so it's like, just tell me what to believe. A lot of people take that position. So those are some of the challenges, I think. And so do you think then this kind of the, the battle between science and faith is, is more of an issue for Christians in Latin America than it, than it would be for atheists? Because I think here in the UK, that, that it might be an issue for the Christians, but it's more an issue for atheists who would say, you know, I couldn't possibly be a Christian because I'm a scientist or I have scientific worldview on particular things. It seems like it's more of an issue from an atheist perspective here in the UK, but you're saying it's perhaps the opposite way around in yeah. Latin America. Yeah, because it's seen almost as, uh -huh, how do you say, like trading alliances. Like, oh, I grew up with uh, these. This is my authority, the, the, my church, my priest, my pastor. Now I need to change who my authority is, the scientist or the, I don't know, scientific method or something. It's, it's, it's more of that, that, that it's also like in our imagination, because when we do actually get into the science and you study the science, you understand how little we know about the world and how uncertain we are about a lot of things. And you realize science is not like saying definite things about the world and trying to make you believe all this sort of, um, I know dogmas about the world and if you don't embrace them, you are a terrible scientist. No, science is all about just like looking at the world, trying to understand it, being unsure of a lot of things. And that's when you get into the field, you actually understand that. But before you see the science as something that demands your alliance forever, it's going to ask you for your whole life, including your fate, I guess. Okay. That's really helpful clarification. Going back to what I was saying before about atheists who might not consider Christianity because they, you know, they don't see it as a viable option because they're kind of scientifically minded. What would you say to someone in that position where they, yeah, they're, they're sort of not even considering Christianity? And, and I guess perhaps tied up in that question might be the objection that science deals on this side with proofs in inverted commas, I suppose. Whereas religion is based on, again, inverted commas, blind faith. And so they would see that actually the two are completely different. How would you speak to an atheist in that context? I would try to show them that they have faith too. And that faith is not the bad thing they think it is. There, it is. Like for, for us to be able to do science, we need to have faith in certain affirmations about the world. We need to believe that the world is orderly, that the world was not created a second ago with the illusion of, of age or uh, with the illusion of our memories. Uh, we need to believe that our brains and the things they perceive are, are worthy of our trust. Um, we, th there's a ton of things we need to believe before we even start to do science. And that is all on the basis of faith. You have no way to prove your brain is trustworthy. You just need to sort of like trust in it. Um, so um, understanding that um, philosophical foundation we need to have to do science and helping people to see that is faith-based too. I think it's a good place to start. And 
this is why I am appalled and saddened that scientists don't have any sort of philosophical training. I studied science for, for almost five years and I didn't have one philosophy class. I think I have one ethics class. I maybe we watch a lot of movies and discuss them, but like philosophical, fun, metaphysics, like all the underlying beliefs we need to embrace to actually do science and for it to make action sense. Um, we don't study that. So we take for a fact a lot of things we shouldn't be taking for a fact. And we actually are annoyed at philosophers because that's this is the way I, I thought about it. It's like a lot of people talking a lot of nonsense about an entity. Like, it's just like, but when you start to study philosophy and understand the bigger questions we need to answer before we actually engage in the scientific method, it is very important, <laughs> but we don't go there most of the time. So yeah, I would begin with that. And, and also showing them that Christianity is not a blind faith. Our own book of faith says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're all like, just like, we're the most to be pitied. So if they're not, there's no evidence of Jesus actually um, raising from the dead. If we don't have a warrant for believing that, what are we doing here? Um, and then also we we can go into explaining, okay, scientific evidence is not the only way to get evidence. I, you can tell me what you had for breakfast and I can, we can build a reasonable argument about it without going into the lab and just trying to break U.S. ideas we have about scientific evidence being the only kind of evidence, which is very dumb once you spend like five minutes thinking about it. <laughs> So is that the approach you would take then if someone said uh, that science contradicts the Bible or the Bible contradicts science and, and therefore you, you can't kind of be a scientist and believe some of the claims of the Bible, the mer the miracles, you know, the way the world was created, all of that? How would you answer someone who said that, you know, that the Bible is being contradicted by science or vice versa? Yeah, I would ask how. Like, okay, what do you mean by that? Because a lot of people don't even know what they mean by science contradicts the Bible. Like, and what, wait, what exactly about the Bible is contradicting? And if they say miracles, we can start talking about how science begins, again, with a lot of assumptions. What are the assumptions we make as scientists? It's just confining the area or object of study. We need to isolate a phenomena uh, to be able to study it. So when we study nature, we are isolating nature, assuming there's nothing that can get into nature, nothing outside of it. But that is an assumption. We have no way of uh, scientifically proving that there's nothing outside of nature. So I would try to, to help people see that. We, in science, in science it, it's powerful because we, we put so many limitations to it. We put limitations to things we can study and the way we study things. And that's what makes it powerful. But that's why it, it's only useful to study certain things in a certain way. It's trying to, it's, it's like, I don't know, trying to use a microscope to tell me about, I don't know, the love my husband has for me. It's like a great tool, the microscope, for studying microbes not for studying <laughs> the love my husband has for me. So yeah, I would go, go into, into that too. But mostly asking the question, what do you mean? Because a lot of people don't even know what they mean when they say that. 
I think questions can be a really helpful thing yes. in all of <laughs> these, can't they? Anna, if a young Guatemalan atheist sort of bumped into you on the street and perhaps they knew you from somewhere and they knew that you were a Christian and um, they said to you, come on, Anna, convince me God is real. You've got two minutes to do it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what would you say, do you think? I, I wouldn't go into the science at all. I, uh, I do believe God has put this hunger for more in everybody's hearts. Um, so I would tap into that. Like um, this, this sense of transcendence that I believe there's on everybody's heart. And I would just share about the God of the Bible, the gospel of who, because a lot of people have this conception of God as this big, scary guy who wants you to follow his rules instead of a God who created everything and wants you to be in right relationship with him, but knows the deep depths of the wickedness of your heart and provided a solution to it in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again in power. So I would share that with them. Um, and then if they ask like those specific questions about like, oh, I'm struggling to believe these or that, we can get into it. But at the end of the day, I do believe that if a person is rebelling against God, um, God is the one who needs to just shake their hearts and wake them to love them and see them. And yeah, we can try to remove the, the blocks, the, 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 the obstacles there, there are. They might be scientific or social, problem, evil, and things like that. We can talk about those things. But at the end of the day, just showing God in Jesus Christ, I think that's the most powerful thing you do. And that seems like a great way to end this podcast. We're going to be exploring some themes from your book the next time we chat um, and talking about how we can avoid burnout. But that is all we've got time for today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic with me, Ruth Jackson. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. And please do let us know what you think of the programme by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk or you can get in touch on social media. Thank you for listening and see you next time. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.